ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. At Principal Asset Management, taking an active approach to investing means looking at asset management through a different lens one with a clear focus on our clients. Consider principal ETFs, actively managed ETF strategies built with portfolio construction in mind. For more information and to explore the full range of principal ETF options, visit principalam.com forward slash ETF. Copyright 2023 Principal Global Investors. Alps Distributors Inc. is a distributor of the principal ETFs. Alps Distributors Inc. and the principal funds are not affiliated. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me for this very special edition of ETF Prime will be James Safer, ETF Research Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and Dave Nottig, Financial Futurist at Vetify. And look, I know I promised I wasn't going to go overboard on this Bitcoin ETF topic, but I actually found myself a little loophole that I'm going to exploit because I was originally just going to record a best of ETF Prime this week after the long holiday weekend. Uh, that, that's, of course, where I replay some of my favorite interviews this year. And I always get great feedback on those podcasts. I like doing them, but it's not new content, right? So I feel like I'm not shortchanging anyone by focusing on uh, Bitcoin ETFs this week because you can always go back and listen to any interview I've done. And so I decided instead I'm going to take this opportunity to do a full deep dive into everything going on with spot Bitcoin ETFs right now. It's amazing. This is the story that absolutely keeps on giving. And I can't think of two better people to cover this with than James, who I'm guessing talks Bitcoin ETFs in his sleep. He, he knows this space inside and out. And then, of course, Dave Nodig, who really needs no introduction. I think he just talks ETFs, period, in his sleep. I'm not sure there's anyone walking the planet who knows more about ETFs than Dave. So this should be a lot of fun. And I hope this will help everyone better understand what's been going on here with Spot Bitcoin ETFs and what might come next. So without further ado, let me bring into the conversation Bloomberg's James Saford and Vetify's Dave Nodig, who have been patiently waiting for me to stop uh, rattling on here. Gentlemen, welcome to the uh, podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right. So, look, we are going to get into uh, all the details here, of course. But I want to start by asking you both something that I've been thinking a lot more about recently, which is why this topic of spot Bitcoin ETFs is 
captured so much attention because I think about, <laughs> well, well, you know, I think about all the innovation in ETFs, all the stuff the three of us always talk about and cover in the media, right? You, you think about ESG ETFs, uh, buffer ETFs, thematics, all of that stuff, and nothing seems to come close to generating the type of buzz and interest is Bitcoin ETF. So why do you think that is? And Dave, I'll, I'll start with you. Why so much passion around this topic? I think there's two things. One is anytime there's a will they, won't they with the SEC, uh, everybody comes out of the woodwork. We did this with 6011. We did this with non-transparent active. We had going bets on non-transparent active for what, five years, Nate? So like, I think there's some of that, which is it's the greatest show in town. I think the other one is that there's like layers of potential hypocrisy here. And I think that that's really like catnip or Twitter and social media and these kinds of arguments. And what I mean by that is uh, there, there's the potential hypocrisy of, well, they've been disproving everything, but then BlackRock shows up and maybe they approve BlackRock. And that has all sorts of slightly weird and maybe nefarious qualities to it that I think make for a great thriller. Uh, and, and at the same time, there's already the hypocrisy of the whole back and forth between the futures and the spot and how little that makes any sense. So anytime that there's these apparent disconnects and hypocrisies, I think it's almost inevitable that the Internet's going to get interested. James, any thoughts here? I mean, you've been covering this Bitcoin ETF story as closely as anyone. And I, I know you see uh, the responses out on Twitter. It's unbelievable. Anytime you tweet about something related to Bitcoin ETFs, why, why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely part of what Dave just said. I mean, us, us TradFi people, like, there's interest because of all those reasons, right? Like, what is going on with the SEC? Their logic doesn't make a lot of sense. It looks blatantly like they're backing into legal reasons for things they've, like, already decided from above. Like, it, to me, that's blatantly what's happening. So whatever they decide to do, they'll back into the reasoning for doing that. Um, but the other side of it is, like, there's a huge community of the crypto people that are just interested in seeing what TradFi is going to do. And obviously, some people are in the number go up world where they just want more people to buy more Bitcoin, which goes back to some people calling it a Ponzi scheme. Um, so there's just immense amount of interest. So from a news perspective, there's a lot of people. It's just going to get a lot of clicks. There's a lot of people interesting. And then it goes back to all the stuff they've said. It's just very interesting to watch what's happening and cover um, it's like a, it really is like a horse race. And as you said, there's a lot of like <laughs> there'd be a lot of money uh, people betting on this if there were actual odds of a sports book uh, offering odds to bet on this thing. Hey, I'm trying to offer those uh, odds now with the uh, ETF DraftKings. <laughs> uh, look, so uh, we're going to peel back uh, a lot of layers to this story. But let, let me do this. Let me first give a quick rundown of where I believe we stand on spot Bitcoin ETF filings. And then, James, I'm actually going to have you tell us if I missed anything. And so if we rewind, what, a few weeks in mid-June, BlackRock shocked, I think, just about everyone by filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF. I'll be honest, I thought BlackRock was going to enter the Bitcoin ETF race at some point, but definitely not now, given the regulatory backdrop, uh, right, just with how aggressive the SEC has been clamping down on crypto. But anyways, as soon as BlackRock filed, of course, we saw uh, Bitwise, Wisdom Tree. Uh, Invesco, Valkyrie, uh, and Fidelity all tossed their hats back in the ring. And then apparently ARC already had a live filing out there. And so, uh, again, James, let's just start there. First, is that everyone who has filed, at least through the time we're recording this podcast? And then give us a quick update on these 
19 B4 filings from the exchanges last Friday, and, and then on Monday, on Monday, or I, I guess you know we saw them on Monday, and then actually here just before we started recording, I saw uh, Valkyrie. Uh, their 19B4 was posted uh, by NASDAQ. So, so give us a quick update here. Is that everybody? Yeah, so there's, there's eight issuers right now that have active 19B4s. And by active, I mean they've actually submitted them. The only one that's actually in the 19B4 process, which you hinted at, is ARC. And, well, really, it's 21 shares in partnership with ARC. Mm-hmm. So 21 shares, we should say, is um, they are the largest ETF crypto ETF issuer, I believe, in the world, if not definitely in Europe. Um, so that's another key aspect here to look at. Uh, but yeah, there's there's eight of them. ARC, iShares, Bitwise, VanEck, WisdomTree, Invesco, Valkyrie, and Fidelity. Um, so um, all, all of those guys have filed. And you mentioned they a bunch of them, all the CBOE ones, um, refiled their filings on Friday. Um, so we got an update. We saw the news story from the Wall Street Journal that basically the Bitcoin filings were inadequate. The headline looked like, oh, God, the SEC is just putting the kibosh on this immediately. But when you get into the documents that Vicky wrote um, and the details, it, it basically says you need to tell us who the surveillance sharing agreement is with and we want details on it, which is like, to be clear, like that was always going to be the situation. I thought maybe they would expect, accept it. Uh, but what happens in these processes is these exchanges file for these 19B4s, which are the rule changes, and the SEC basically has to accept them or acknowledge them. But there's a time period before they accept it, which could be up to, I think, 45 days, but typically they do it in like two weeks. And there's a time period where they can say, no, this, you need to redo this. It could be formatting. It could be any number of things. And basically they bounced a bunch of these back saying, you need to give us the name of the exchange. And they all refiled on Friday. Uh, apparently including NASDAQ and iShares, which they didn't drop the filing until Monday, even though they backdated it for um, <laughs> the, the 29th of June. So I'll be watching to see, like, what dates the SEC, as I mentioned, acknowledges these filings. Like, are they going to acknowledge them all on the same day? So they all are on the same exact clock, except for ARC 21 shares. And then, yeah, so we can get into the, we can get into the discussion there about what's going to happen going forward. But th- that's the current state of play. Everyone has filed. The only one in the process is is our 21 shares, and the only exchange that has what, what we'll say is an executed or official SSA agreement with Coinbase is NASDAQ, and CBOE and NICE are probably scrambling to get that finalized and done. Well, and, and we don't know what they say. That's the other thing that's key here is that I, unless, unless I miss something, which, God, it's been a heck of a weekend, I certainly could have, we don't have copies of that SSA, right? We just have the assertion that they have entered into an SSA, but the SEC was extraordinarily clear in their rejections of previous Bitcoin filings that they were going to need to see every detail because they, they go through, uh, particularly like in their Bitwise rejection from March uh, last year, they go through explicitly what they're going to need to see in an SSA. And it includes things like how are you going to be able to detect manipulation outside the United States in this market? Like they're very specific things that, that need to be in there that we assume are in there, but we haven't seen it yet. And frankly, I'm dying to see one. James, I want to go back to something you were uh, mentioning on that initial wave of 19B4 filings. And really, if you go to the one that NASDAQ submitted uh, on the iShares Bitcoin ETF. And let me actually read this language regarding the surveillance sharing agreement. Um, The filing said, uh, quote, NASDAQ is expecting to enter into a surveillance sharing agreement with an operator of a United States base spot trading platform for Bitcoin. Trading of Bitcoin on the U.S. BTC spot market platform represents a substantial portion of U.S.-based Bitcoin trading. 
And uh, as you noted, we saw the other exchanges follow suit with similar language in, in their 19 V4s or SIBO in, in particular. And you mentioned that Wall Street Journal report last Friday where they said, look, this isn't enough for the SEC, right? The SEC wants the spot exchange name. They want details about an actual agreement in place. And we're certainly going to get into that here in a few minutes. But I, I want to ask both of you, why do you think none of the original filings actually named Coinbase? Because we, the SEC was always going to ask for this. So, so why not name that exchange up front? Yeah, so I'm assuming here, one, BlackRock just wanted to get this out, and they wanted to make sure they were first. I'm sure they, like... I've discussed this at length on Twitter, and you and I have discussed this, Nate. It's been all over Twitter. I mean, the real benefit here is if they could be first ahead of everyone else. The the first mover advantage is wild. And honestly, the SEC has gotten a lot of flack from the industry and everywhere, basically for being a kingmaker, specifically with the uh, ProShares launch of the Bitcoin futures ETF before anyone else could get out. Um, They're basically kingmakers if they let somebody win. But so iShares is like, I mean... They obviously have a revolving door with the U.S. government in some ways, so they know they they know something. So I'm sure they were working on this and have an inkling that it's going to possibly get approved. And they probably just wanted to get this out as soon as possible, even if the, the agreement wasn't executed. As far as why they didn't name them, I've got some hunches and some people telling me that it's it, it was almost certainly from Coinbase. They didn't want themselves them named just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, I don't understand that thought process, I guess they, one thing is they're, they're probably worried about the crypto community being mad at them for like entering into something called a surveillance sharing agreement. Um, it kind of goes against the ethos of crypto, if you will. That said, I mean, everyone from the get-go, including us, including you guys, like it was obvious that this was going to be Coinbase from the description and just from the fact that they have a partnership with them already. They're, they would be the custodian of the ETF. I mean, it was blatant that, that it was going to be Coinbase. So I'm not really – I don't know why they didn't do it aside from the fact that I've heard they were worried about pushback from the crypto community. Dave, any thoughts? Anything to add there? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, first of all, I think the whole issue of what does BlackRock know is a fascinating conspiracy theory. But I think the, the most likely answer is Coinbase's lawyers didn't want their name in it. They are in the middle of lawsuits. They probably don't want that pushback. Maybe they were hoping they were going to get to kick the can down the road for a couple months uh, before they had to be formally lame, named. Uh, maybe they were hoping to have some runway on it. Uh, BlackRock was hoping to have some runway on it and make people go uh, scramble and put these things in place. Uh, but but in general, I, I think it's unlikely, in my opinion, that BlackRock genuinely knows something and knew the magic words to put in the filing to get it sailed through. I, I, I'm just not that much of a conspiracy theorist. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this, though, because, James, as you mentioned, SIBO then uh, updated the language in their 19B4 filings to say something like the exchange is expected uh, to enter into a surveillance sharing agreement with, with a Coinbase, right? So they named Coinbase, but the problem is they didn't provide any other details of an actual agreement. And so then we find out on Monday that NASDAQ resubmitted a 19B4 filing on behalf of BlackRock, which stated, uh, and and again, let me read this, uh, quote, on June 8th, 2023, the exchange reached an agreement on terms with Coinbase to enter into a surveillance sharing agreement, and the associated term sheet became effective on June 16th. And they go on to say the uh, surveillance sharing agreement will be formally executed prior to the trading of, of a spot Bitcoin ETF. So basically, once the SEC approves the, the uh, ETF, the agreement goes into place is how I read it. But um, 
it, it looks like NASDAQ via BlackRock, in my opinion, they had the goods from the beginning, right? They knew they could get a surveillance sharing agreement in place. That said, just so we can have a little fun, I want to read you a tweet that, that got me to thinking a little bit. So this was from at ETF Lawyer. Um, they said, quote, it's not a BlackRock thing. It's a NASDAQ thing. And that agreement may have been the thing that sealed them getting the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF listing, which would be a great get. So I, I, I hope you guys followed all that. I just threw out a lot there. But what do you think was actually going on behind the scenes here? Do you think BlackRock, given their existing relationship with Coinbase, right, they, they have uh, Coinbase has provided crypto trading and custody and data to BlackRock's institutional clients. Uh, of course, BlackRock is one of the largest holders of Coinbase stock. So they, they have a relationship there. But do we think it was BlackRock pulling the strings or do we think NASDAQ trying to get uh, the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF listing? Any thoughts, sir? I, I mean, I think that this is definitely NASDAQ's gem. Uh, obviously, BlackRock wants this to go through. But if you're asking sort of whose feet are doing the most work under the water and who actually has the most to gain, gain here, uh, this would be an enormous win for NASDAQ. Remember, exchanges primarily get paid on volume, not assets. Right. And so even if this fund got launched and only ever had a billion dollars in it, it would still probably be one of the most traded ETFs of all time, regardless of the asset level. Compared to, say, if you managed to land PIMCO's BOND, that's a nice big slug of assets, but it doesn't trade very much at all because it's not what it's for. It's not its design. So the exchanges really have, I think, almost more to win here than the issuers because the volumes here are going to be phenomenal. Are, are there poor optics, though, if you have NASDAQ going to the world's largest asset manager and saying, hey, we're going to be able to get this surveillance sharing agreement in place. You should come uh, file and, and, and then well, list a I mean, spot Bitcoin versus, ETF. Versus NYSE? I mean, I, I don't know. Are we, are we calling NASDAQ the 800-pound gorilla or the underdog here? It just seems like uh, like poor optics. <clears throat> I don't know. James, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the other part of this is that Coinbase is listed on NASDAQ. Um, so they already have – Coinbase already has a relationship with NASDAQ because that's where their stock right. is listed. Um, so that they, there was a relationship there. Coinbase has partnered with, with BlackRock, as we've discussed already, from over a year ago at this point for stuff relating to uh, pricing for Aladdin and relating to um, institutional client ownership of crypto and, and Bitcoin. So there was already like this triangle of relationship going in there. So I don't think it was kind of like blatantly out of the blue, we're going to call BlackRock to get them to list this. I'm sure there was like whispers going back and forth over the preceding months before they actually started doing anything along these lines. And also, I mean, Coinbase is getting sued. They're pushing back hard against the SEC. Um, so this is kind of a way to like, oh, we can hand the, everyone else a, like a potential way to get around the SEC's denial spot, Bitcoin ETFs, um, all these different things uh, that, that at play here. We could talk about the difference between Binance and Coinbase's lawsuit and why Coinbase might be a better thing for the SEC to almost kind of help with uh, in a volume sense uh, for, for the crypto world. But yeah, I just, I, I don't think it's that bad of a look. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm with you 100%. We always thought that BlackRock eventually was going to launch uh, Bitcoin ETF. We, we've said it multiple times, but we, I did not think they would try to launch first. They, they typically let other people go and 
forge the path and then they just come afterwards and overpower everyone with their their marketing and their distribution efforts um, but obviously they saw a path here to be first and we all know the first mover advantage potential here and as and as dave said um like Bitto trades an absolute ton it doesn't have that much in the way in assets i mean it's a billion dollar fund but it trades a lot um so and i would argue that this spot bitcoin etf would be bigger if it gets approved Obviously, Coinbase is the uh, the the clear linchpin here. But t- to your point, James, they're being sued by the SEC, right? And, and there are questions about whether they're a, a market of significant size. I would say they are. I believe you believe they are. Uh, but obviously, they're not regulated. Regulated in, in the, the SEC's yeah. eyes, right? <laughs> so, so will a surveillance sharing agreement be enough? Will, will this even matter to the SEC? I I'm very skeptical that. They will be able to document an SSA that will meet what has historically been the requirements. Now, the SEC may have the fix in, right? Like, we have to acknowledge, as much as I am not a conspiracy theorist, there is a chance the fix is in, and the SEC is just trying to greenlight this process in a, in a way, uh, you know, I've heard the theory that, you know, the Biden administration called Gary Gensler and said they needed a Zoomer and millennial win, whatever the end of the day, there will be a document which at some point we'll be, we will be allowed to see. And if that looks like historical SSAs, which is not a new thing, right? I mean, this goes back to the 80s and 90s uh, when people were trying to do surveillance sharing agreements with commodities exchanges or foreign exchanges. The bar is usually pretty high. There's full KYC requirements uh, for not just the exchange trades themselves, but things that happen off exchange in other venues there's a ton of requirements that I'm just not sure whether Coinbase is going to be able to meet. Now, maybe they will, or maybe they'll keep the standard low. Uh, but I, but I'm, I'm want to just continue to slow the roll here. That simply saying they're going to sign an SSA does not mean the SEC says yes. It can be a bad SSA that doesn't fill their needs, and they can also simply say that Coinbase is not a regulated crypto exchange, which is in fact true. The Motley Fool LLC has been recommending individual stocks as part of their subscription newsletter service for over 30 years. Now Motley Fool Asset Management has taken the Motley Fool LLC's top 100 analyst-recommended companies and put them into a single passively managed ETF. It's an instantly diversified portfolio of 100 top-rated large-cap stocks with market-beating potential, all in one low-cost ETF. For more, visit fooletfs.com slash Prime. That's fooletfs.com slash ETF prime. This is where I wonder if the grayscale lawsuit comes into play. And I, I want to ask you both about that specifically. But I, I think it could be enough to have a surveillance sharing agreement with Coinbase combined with the uh, existing surveillance sharing agreements in place for CME uh, traded Bitcoin futures, right? Obviously, that market is regulated by the CFTC. It, it, we can get into the futures market. That's the thrust of, of Grayscale's lawsuit. Um, it, it, could that be enough? Because, it, again, well, we have – go ahead. That, I mean, in the, in the rejections in the past, like in the, in the Bitcoin – I'm sorry, in the Bitwise rejections, the SEC has said specifically in every case that we have approved – uh, a product like this, there has been at least an SSA with the regulated futures exchange. They actually say that in that rejection. Um, and then subsequent other uh, things to make them feel comfortable about price manipulation. That's, an, that's a clear pathway, right? If you had an SSA with both Coinbase and with the CME, I mean, I think any reasonable human being would suggest that that's probably enough. But whether or not the <laughs> SEC decides that's within the letter of the law, 
we shall see. By the way, not to uh, backtrack here, and I, I think we, we've all alluded to this a little bit, but, and, and Dave, I'll throw this your way. Do you mind explaining just the basics of a surveillance sharing agreement? We're throwing it around like everybody understands it, but what, why is that important to the SEC? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. They want to be able to go to the market and get information that will detect, investigate, or deter fraud, market manipulation, and violations of exchange rules. That's the official phrasing of that. Right. So they need to be able to lean into the exchange when they detect bad action and then do something about it, identify the actors themselves. Right. This is why, for instance, people get caught doing insider trading in stocks. It's because every once in a while, somebody's dumb enough to go, you know, sell all their company stock the day before earnings announcement. And that gets flagged and they go to the exchange and they unwind that and they say it was Bob. He did it in a Schwab account. They need to be able to do that here as well. The flip side of that, however, is that they need to be able to assert that there's so much surveillance that you would not be able to manipulate the underlying by trading the ETP. Mm -hmm. So that's the direction that they're also worried about is that somebody couldn't game things by throwing a bunch of arbitrage trades into the Bitcoin ETP and then have that be what determines the price of Bitcoin. That's a very difficult thing to prove ex ante. James, uh, going back to your inventory of uh, Bitcoin ETF filings, I, I just want to be clear as well. Where does Grayscale stand in all this? Right, they're obviously awaiting a decision on their uh, lawsuit against the SEC, but they don't currently have an actual live filing, correct? Yeah, I would consider they they don't have a live filing, but I would consider their lawsuit to be a live filing um, in a way because the the government, the the lawyer, the lawyers, she's, the judges are going to decide in that case, right? It's a panel of three judges. We've been on the record um, as stating that we think Grayscale is a 70% chance of victory. Part of the reason why we think that this is another like uh, tinfoil hat type thing, that Gensler is looking down the barrel of a losing lawsuit. Um, now, what could happen with those judges is they could just basically say, SEC, go back to the drawing board um, and issue another letter approving or denying this because the current reasons you gave were bad. Um, <laughs> or they could basically say you have to approve this and you need to launch an ETF or basically take the futures ETFs offline, which I don't. I personally, that's a theory online. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the SEC is ever going to tell issuers to remove products they've that's, already approved, like the Bitcoin that's futures my, ETFs. That, I think that's exactly what they're going to do. So I think we just completely disagree with that. They've done this before. They've shut down entire markets for products and services, uh, right? So I, I, I don't think that this is an unusual idea that they might take those products off the market. Obviously, people would complain about it, but we're only talking about a few billion dollars, which in the scope of securities trading is literally zero. Uh, so I don't think the SEC would be swayed that somehow they're causing undue hardship by shutting those things down. I think it's really unlikely that the judges panel would decide how they have to approve something and say this must start trading. I think your first example is actually is probably the more likely. I think that they will send them back to the drawing board and say either approve it or reissue your denial. Um, and that gives the SEC an enormous amount of latitude on whether they want to kill the futures products, whether they want to send them back with here's what an SSA has to look like, or whether they simply want to reject Grayscale for saying, hey, in your conversion, you didn't have an SSA, so you don't get to do a Bitcoin ETF. So, Dave, what do you think the outcome of that Grayscale lawsuit will be? James just said, what, 70% chance of uh, I, Yeah, I'm pretty success. much there at this point. I was more, I, I think I wrote about this earlier in the spring, and I, I think I was closer to 50-50 
on on uh, whether they win or lose. I think that that has definitely moved towards more likely that Grayscale wins that lawsuit. Um, I think how they win that is going to be really interesting. Uh, we seem to be in a in a in a generation where APA lawsuits. Uh, Administrative Procedures Act lawsuits are the new de rigueur way of changing policy, which already happened with the EPA. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden these sort of weaponized APA lawsuits are being very successful. But I, I just want to be clear here. You think that if Grayscale wins this lawsuit, a more likely scenario is that the SEC would force the uh, whatever the closure, the closure or delisting of the futures-based ETFs that are currently on the market. You think that's a more plausible scenario than them approving a spot Bitcoin ETF? I, here, I'll, I'll go through the probability tree for you. Prior to the BlackRock filing... I was 70% that the SEC loses and Grayscale wins, and then probably 70% that the SEC's response is to shut down the whole dang thing, including the futures. Post the BlackRock filing, I'm probably more like 50-50 on whether they kill the, uh, the futures-based filings entirely, in which case, obviously, I don't think they're then going to approve spot Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, I think there's about a 50% negative outcome from that and about a 50% positive outcome, which I know is a complete namby-pamby coin flip not taking a <laughs> position. But I don't think we have much more information than that. Okay, so it does get down to what does BlackRock know, but let me give you a rebuttal to what you just said, because I, I know you both saw this last week. Volatility shares launched a uh, two-times leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF, ticker symbol BITX, by the way. So... Why would the SEC allow that product to uh, come to market if they thought, you know, they a they may lose that grayscale lawsuit, and then b if they lose, perhaps they're going to go down the path of uh, forcing the closure of futures-based products? Why let a two times yeah, I, leverage one I come to market? I don't think they had. A, I don't think they had any viable justification for disproving it. I, I don't think they wanted to. I think they held their held their nose and knew that if they didn't approve it, they would instantaneously be sued because they're allowing other leverage-based products based on volatility to go through, and they're allowing Bitcoin futures products to go through. So it seems really difficult for them to argue that they have some reason to say this specific asset, regardless of its volatility profile, can't be levered. I, I don't think they would have gotten away with that. By the way, isn't uh, BitX like the poster child of just how ridiculous this entire Bitcoin ETF saga has been? <laughs> yeah, I, I still can't get is. my head around that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so assuming the SEC does get comfortable, and I'm, I'm going to, Dave, you get you kind of foreshadowed your predictions here, but we'll, we'll get formal predictions in a minute. Um, what type of demand are you expecting for spot Bitcoin ETFs? Like how big... Can this market become? And James, I'll, I'll throw that your way first. Yeah, so I think I, I think you're in the same camp as me here, based on some tweets I've seen. I think this could be the largest, if not one of the largest launches in history. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions to that with some of these ESG funds that are seeded with billions of dollars. I don't consider those to be the same type of uh, yeah. grassroots demand. Uh, so the winner right now is Bitto. It took in $1.5 in like two days. And I think the, a spot Bitcoin ETF could do something similar, even if it's money leaving Bitto and going into a spot Bitcoin ETF, right? And that, that, that's a huge part here. There, there's likely money, there's U.S. money that are in these Canadian ETFs. There's U.S. institutional money um, in, in other areas that might come back if a spot Bitcoin ETF gets approved, not to mention all the issues with Grayscale and GBTC. Um, so I think there just could, this could be one of the one of, if not the largest, Bitcoin ETF launches. I mean, it's one of the largest ETF launches in the U.S. Dave, 
Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, I'll 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 make it a little more strident than that. There's twenty billion dollars trapped in a completely broken pink sheet trust called GBTC. I think half of that money shows up in a spot Bitcoin ETP complex within two weeks. So I think I think you're talking ten billion dollars in two weeks. Yeah, I'm with you. It, to your point, James, you, you saw I tweeted this out over the weekend. I do think a spot Bitcoin ETF will absolutely shatter the previous uh, record ETF launch. And I, I just feel like, look, I talked to a lot of advisors. There's a lot of pent up demand here. This allows financial advisors and, and even institutional investors to access Bitcoin via traditional financial services rails. Right. It's a, a, a bridge between the traditional finance world and, and crypto. Now, I do think there's still a lot of debate over Bitcoin's longer-term value and why to own it. Some view it as digital gold. Some see it as simply a means for cross-border transactions. Some think it's absolutely worth uh, worthless. But that's no different than how investors view a number of companies in the Russell 2000 or, yeah. or whatever, right? So it, it could be very valuable, or they might go to zero at some point. But I just I, it seems like there's I, a lot. I want to I want to ask James one quick question about GBTC because I know you follow this so carefully. So if if there was a scenario where the BlackRock ETF got approved, but GBTC, for whatever reason, was either still pending its lawsuit or had sort of been sent back to the drawing board because it doesn't have an SSA and all that stuff. So it's it's still out there trading. But the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF launches. What do you think happens to the discount in GBTC? Because on the one hand, you would think GBTC eventually converts and so forth. Therefore, the discount would have to go away. So everybody would pile in. But on the other hand, people who were genuinely trying to get exposure might just dump GBTC in favor of a, a, a Bitcoin ETF. What, where, which way do you think it would go? So my view is that I think it would tighten. But I think the risk here is that Grayscale just completely slow rolls the transition to an ETF, right? So if you're buying GBTC, the risk here is one. So we're assuming an ETF is approved. Grayscale is going to have to convert GBTC to an ETF. A lot of people also think they're not going to do it. I think they oh, basically God, they don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah, they don't have a choice. Now, if they slow roll that for months, <laughs> first of all, it is going to take time to convert. Like, it's not something that it gets approved and then all of a sudden GBTC is an ETF, like, the next right, day. Right. I don't know what that timeline looks like. But they could stretch out that timeline. So the risk is all right, how long you're going to have to pay that 2% fee versus <laughs> what these ETFs come out at, which is we expect to be, I don't know, 50, 75, 50. 50. You know, yeah, 50 would lower, be, I guess. When it comes, yeah, when it comes out. So I think it'll tighten, but I don't think it'll go to zero because you're, you're still waiting on that date when you're, it's officially going to happen. Now, if you, once you get a date that, like, GBTC is going to convert when you have, like, the corporate action that's filed at the exchange and all this stuff is set and ready to go, I think that's when you see a real complete tightening of the discount. Um, maybe not, like, zero, but, like, a couple of percent here or there. Um, but for, for now, who, who the hell knows? I, but I think, I think it tightens from the current – I think it's around 30 percent. I haven't looked in a couple of days. Um, so I think it tightens, but I don't think it will tighten completely because, again, the risk is how long it's going to take GBTC to convert. Um, and obviously, if these get denied, I think Grayscale, the discount is going to expand again because right now the only reason to be trading that thing at this point is you're betting on an ETF conversion yeah, and acceptance for the SEC. It's a binary option, yeah. I, I think this yeah. gets into um, an interesting topic, which is the competitive dynamics if the SEC gets comfortable with a spot Bitcoin ETF, because I think Grayscale is, is a wild card out there. But um, do, do you guys think this is all about first mover? Is it lowest cost? Are there other important factors here? I, I, assuming the SEC gets comfortable, how do you see the competitive dynamics playing out? Dave, I'll, I'll send that your way. 
Yeah, I think capital markets matters a lot here, uh, meaning that how these things trade out of the gate is going to be the determining factor on who gets the assets. Historically, that has been the first mover, right? The, the first, you know, GLD and GLDM still crush IAU, even though BlackRock launched IAU and it was, you know, arguably a better and cheaper product. Uh, SPY still out trades IVV and VOO, you know, with the same caveat. So, I think that first mover advantage really does matter. Now, if if it's a if it's a true starting gun, where you know we have six to ten of these products launching within days of each other, um, I think then things like brand, capital markets desk, institutional volume are really going to matter. So imagine a world, for instance, where Bitwise, Valkyrie, and BlackRock were all launching the same day. Which one of those do you think is going to be able to call up the institutions and say, hey, we'd really love to get a lot of volume in the first four days, right? It's going to be BlackRock. They have those relationships. That initial volume is probably what pushes a, a leader to the front. Is it even possible for Grayscale to um, make the conversion at the same time as, let's say, we no. do have... Okay, so they, no, either way, no, they're no, going to come not. to market later, no matter what Not happens. unless the SEC specifically did something to make that the case, like, which I've ne- I have no recollection of, of them ever doing this, but they could theoretically say, on June 1st, 2024, we will approve X types of products and, mm-hmm. and, and put an actual starting gun out. It's inconceivable to me that they would do that. And you can make the case if they did do that, that's playing kingmaker again, because here you have a $20 billion fund, right? Grayscale could come in, yeah. automatic assets, liquidity, as long There's as they no drop the fee. There's no way they're not playing a kind of kingmaker on this. Like, uh, if, if anything positive happens, their thumb is on the scale in one way or another, intentionally or unintentionally. Well, I, I guess this gets into, and I, I think you've already answered it, how, how you both think the SEC should go about approving these ETFs. I mean, should it be just give everyone a fair shot here? Everything's approved at the same time, uh, it, which I think you both would say yes. But I guess what do you think the SEC will actually do? Yeah, I'll jump in here. So, one, I think they should just approve these all at the same time. And, and there has been so much money, effort, and energy uh, put into trying to get these things through to like pick specifically like BlackRock to win and go yeah. days before others would be. It's just a oh. really bad look. Like it's a, and, and the SEC has gotten a lot of flack in the past for for doing it this way. Now technically, like you have official timelines, you follow those timelines, you approve, delay, deny. Um, so like if you're going to do it, like I guess theoretically they can make that defense. But I think they let them launch all around the same time, even if it's not exactly the same day. Um, and to, to talk about differentiators, I agree with everything Dave said, um, and I believe his former coworker, colleague Matt Hogan said it. Uh, he describes it as it's a winner take most, which mm-hmm. is likely to happen. So I think in the crypto crowd, if people want to buy an ETF on their brokerage accounts and they're crypto native, they might like something more like a Valkyrie or Invesco with a Galaxy name in there. Um, so there, there's potential there. Same as Van Eck, they've been adamant and avid in the, the crypto space. Uh, but I think there's other differentiating ways, right? Like, so some of them will say, we're never going to lend out your Bitcoin. And others will say, we're going to offer a near zero fee ETF, but we're lending out your underlying Bitcoin. I think there's going to be a lot of differentiating ways that you can do this. Also, I'm sure some ETFs, we have gold ETFs now that will you can redeem and get gold delivered to your house if you hold enough assets. And there's a relatively small number of shares. So I think some issuers will find a way to do that with Bitcoin ETFs. So there's all these different ways that you can differentiate yourself. And I'll be it'll be very interesting to watch in the year or two after we get the first one to see like how these companies try to differentiate themselves and win. And we didn't even talk about DeFi from Hashdex, which theoretically as a 33 act ETF holding futures is the only one that could potentially just change their perspective. And as soon as it's allowed, they could also hold some spot Bitcoin ETF. 
to spot Bitcoin. No, great point. I'll just add on the competitive dynamics. I think I agree with both of you. I, I do think, like every other category in ETFs, the lowest cost providers, which tend to be the, the largest issuers with the most scale, I think they're going to have the most success here uh, with, with accumulating assets. But um, I also agree that I, I think a wild card here is what I continue to call crypto street cred, and that if you think about the average, and I always approach this from an advisor's perspective, just because I am one, but from the average advisor's perspective, they're already loaded up with a bunch of iShares and Vanguard ETFs on their on their you know client statements, and so I think by having somebody who has that quote unquote crypto street cred, say a Bitwise or a Valkyrie, um, it it gives them a a little cachet, but then b keep in mind that those advisors have to educate their clients. Or they should be educating their clients on what's going on in the underlying market and who's going to be in a better position to tell you all of the dynamics in, in crypto and Bitcoin than somebody who's an expert in this space. Right. And, and, and so right. I do think that crypto street cred um, will I, I think it might be a bigger factor here than than maybe what that street cred is in other spaces, say high yield bonds right. or whatever. I agree, especially if we're talking about a simultaneous watch. I think that, uh, you know, a, a, specifically a Grayscale, a Bitwise, or a Valkyrie uh, has that, that street cred on the crypto side. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out there, like James hit a couple of them, but there are ways to differentiate your ETF that aren't simply price. Um, handle size being a, a notable one. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people have always been, like, confused why, like, IAU and GLD trade the way they do and GLDM. Whether or not you are trading at a $100 handle or a $10 handle, like where the decimal point is, really matters for certain kinds of trading. Uh, if you're an institutional trader, you want that big fat handle size. You want a $500 or a $1,000 handle. It makes your trading much cheaper. And I wouldn't be surprised for somebody to come out with a very large handle, lower cost more institutional quasi type product while other folks come out with a $25 more traditional handle size, uh, which really becomes the retail type product. I, you know, I think the idea of doing individual redemption, I lost some of the, the like OUNZ and some of those Merck funds. I think that's a really interesting idea. So I think there are a lot of ways that differentiation can come to this market once we get past this initial hurdle. Um, are either of you expecting uh, additional issuers to toss their hat in the ring on a spot Bitcoin ETF? I think I've suggested VanEck, right? James, they don't currently have a, a live filing. We'll have to resubmit, I believe. Uh, global. No, VanEck, VanEck does have a, they do. a, a live filing. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. I missed do. that at the top. Okay, so so VanEck, okay, put them aside. I've suggested uh, GlobalX, uh, yep. First Trust, because they've had a filing before. My dark yep. horse is a Schwab, which I know people laugh at, but you have to remember they launched a crypto thematic ETF. And they're involved in this new uh, EDX Markets crypto exchange, which will be yep. a regulated venue. So, you know, they, they have uh, they, they've shown, you know, the interest in that space. Anybody else you would add here? J.P. Morgan. I would, I would not be surprised when it certainly not necessarily throwing their hat in the ring right now in this sort of interim zone. But I, do, I think there's another shoe to drop here. I think we'll get another round of looking at what these SSAs look like. And when we get that next round, it wouldn't surprise me to see JP Morgan drop a you know, low-cost beta builders Bitcoin ETF out there you know, at the last minute. I mean, JP Morgan's been doing the dance with crypto for years at this point. <laughs> James, anybody you would add? Um, the only one I would add, is, you said Global X and First Trust. Those are the ones I'm expecting to file at some point in the very near future. But First Trust was partnered with Scaramucci Skybridge, which is t turmoiled in the FTX situation. So maybe they'll stay out of it. 
Um, but that said, yeah, uh, the only one I would add is One River, which they filed one that was yep. very unique. It was like a coin, new carbon neutral Bitcoin ETF because of all the ESG. So that's like the ESG spin on a Bitcoin ETF. So they haven't refiled anything since 2021. But I wouldn't be surprised if once these get approved, they're like, all right, we already have a prospectus ready to roll. Uh, we might as well try to go this ESG Bitcoin route with the carbon credit. So that's the only one I can think of that I would add. All right, let's start uh, wrapping up here. Um, James, can you just give us the time frame that the SEC is operating under with with the current filings that are out there? What, what does this look like high level? Yeah, so typically the, the way it starts is, right, they have to, I mentioned in the beginning, they have to acknowledge these and then the clock starts ticking. So once we see these posts on the SEC website is when we get a real understanding of the time and the clock, like what we're looking at. Um, but first, ARC 21 shares, their decision is due on August 13th, 2023. So they have to have some sort of uh, accept, deny, or delay by that date. But then again, they all, their original delay date, because I guess we talked about they filed in April, their original date was June 29th, and the SEC came out on the 15th of June, 14 days early, the same day that BlackRock filed, and delayed them. So you've got to remember these are deadlines, not necessarily the dates that the decisions are going to be made. Um, so we're watching that date. Obviously, none of these other ones have been accepted by the SEC or posted to the website, but typically it's like a two-week time period. There's nothing saying they can't accept them and post them to the site today because obviously they've already looked at all of them based on the fact that of the reporting we saw from the Wall Street Journal and everyone refiling. But the dates I'm looking at, so basically what happens is you go 45 days, 45 days, 90 days, 60 days, and those are all deadlines that the SEC has to approve. Uh, delay, deny, or approve. So the first deadline that would come up of these next set of filings is likely the first week of, of September, depending on when the SEC accepts this. So plus or minus seven-ish days, you would say. Um, but the ultimate deadline uh, would be mid-March for the rest of them. And for ARC 21 shares, I believe it would be like the last week of December. Um, so w- those are the deadlines we're looking at. I think if these don't get approved before the end of the deadline, uh, usually, if you get de- if you get delayed and you go through that whole process, the odds of the SEC after going through that 45 day period, 45, 90 day, 60 day, of then all of a sudden the SEC accepting and approving, um, <laughs> see, seems a little skeptical to me. If if this if this surveillance hearing agreement is the silver bullet we've been looking for, um, so I, I'd be looking more to see what happens in this initially. But again, obviously we haven't seen the SSA, so they could delay again and say we need to see the actual SSA and then we can get to another time period or deadline and see what happens there. Okay, so this is perfect. That- no, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and, and now we're going to get to what everyone has been waiting for, which is prediction time, because the two of <laughs> you have to give me uh, your, your current best prediction on what you think is actually going to happen here. And to be fair, I'll do the same. Uh, but uh, James, I'll, I'll start with you. Do we get a spot Bitcoin ETF anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, should I give reasoning for my thought? Process? We love it. Yeah, talk about it? the surveillance sharing agreements. The market is significant size. Whatever you want to touch on in, in terms of what you think is going to happen here. What will be the driver, the catalyst? Uh, I want a, I want a prediction. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I'm looking at it is this. There's two ways. There's the the hard evidence, which is what Dave is saying, all the stuff that Gary has said in the past and the SEC has said in the past. Based on their language, this should get denied. Right. Let's let's be very clear, like based on the goals and the goalposts that they kind of kept moving, this should be denied uh, currently. Um, That said, Coinbase, while it's not a market of significant size in the global spot Bitcoin market, it is for USD trading. It is number one. It is the market. Coinbase is the number one exchange in the U.S. It is the number one exchange that uses U.S. dollars. So you can easily make the argument that that makes it a market of significant size, and I think it does. 
And the SEC had bent on the market of syncing with size before. When they approved Tucrium, which is now Hashdex, they basically said, and I quote, that therefore the commission concludes the CME is a significant market related to CME Bitcoin futures market, which was just ridiculous to me when I read that. So basically they're saying <laughs> it's a market of syncing with size with relation to the CME's Bitcoin futures to market, itself. which is its own market. Yeah, it's. It's basically what it comes down to is the SEC will back into whatever decision they ultimately decide. And I think right now you have, the, you have this lawsuit against Coinbase and Binance. They're very different lawsuits. They are not alleging Coinbase of any fraud or wrongdoing or wash trading the way they are doing Binance. So also, so like when you're doing this, you would be picking a U.S. company that is trying to come under the regulatory framework. And also all that, that lawsuit, it's focused on altcoins. It's focused on other things. The one thing that Gary Gensler and the SEC will say is a commodity, is not a security, is Bitcoin. So if they're going to give anywhere, I think it will be on Bitcoin. And also, Gary can kind of spin this as a political win, right? He can say, like, look, we got a, a crypto market to come under a surveillance sharing agreement with exchanges that are under the SEC's surveillance or regulatory framework, right? So, like, he can definitely spin this as a win, and it would, like, kill any potential downside of losing a lawsuit to get grayscale. It becomes a moot point, essentially. So there's a lot of ways that, which is why, like, I tend to lean that, I, I, like, I'll say this, I, I'm 51% at this point that it's going, that we, I think we're going to get one this year, or in this wave of filings, I should say, not necessarily this year, because the deadline is is in the first quarter of 2024. So I think we're going to get one personally. And that's mostly based on circumstantial evidence, right? Like, the hard evidence says this should be denied. Um, so if this was a court of law, I guess you wouldn't really necessarily do it. But I just black rock all the things we've talked about. That said, all it takes is Gary and the SEC deciding, which to me, based on everything I've heard from people at the SEC and writings from the SEC, this is really Gary's decision. Like they're backing into decisions he's making. And I don't think the SEC cares all that much from like a staff perspective or 10th floor perspective. Um, I think this is a Gary Gensler thing. So if he decides that he wants to approve it, I think they will. That said, all it takes him saying is, this isn't a regulated market, or Coinbase isn't a market of significant size because Binance is 60%, 70% of the trading volume, which, again, they admit is uh, they're doing wash trading. They think Binance is doing wash trading. Um, and also in their lawsuits against Coinbase, they, 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 they flatten out and say that Coinbase is the market in the U.S. and is the dominant player in the U.S. So they know how big they are. Which is why, like I said, we, we say 50-50. I, if I, I don't like copping out, as, as Dave said earlier. He doesn't like to go with a 50-50 route. Um, so I'll say 51% chance, I think, this wave gets an approval. Um, I love it. I lean towards approval. All yeah. right. Dave? Uh, I, I'm still more negative, but I don't have great reasons for it. I think uh, I'm t- James. everything James said is completely accurate. Obviously, Coinbase is a market of significant size in trading of spot Bitcoin to U.S. dollar. Like, that's a ridiculous statement to suggest they're not. Uh, that alone should get that part covered. The regulated issue, I think, is a big one. If they're going to say, yeah, it's regulated because of New York State, I think that's a that's a really interesting way to back <laughs> into an approval. Um, you know, obviously, my preference here all along has been, hey, let's get comprehensive with crypto like legislation to create a regulatory environment. We ain't going to get that. Uh, so I'm pretty negative on this. I would say 30% chance we have a trading spot Bitcoin ETF before the 2024 election. Okay, so I think I'm probably landing somewhere right around where both of you are. I, I try to think about this. I went back and forth. And uh, in, 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 here's where I'm at. I do think the SEC is going to approve these. But 
I made a prediction at the beginning of the year that we would not get a spot Bitcoin ETF in 2023. So I'm actually going to stick with that and say that we get one in early 2024. Now, let me color that a little bit. You know, in terms of who wins the race, I want to believe that the SEC is going to give everyone a fair shot, like we were talking about earlier. But there is just something in the back of my mind that, that's telling me the timing of this BlackRock filing um, indicates that they just know something. I just have a hard you, you're time. You're on the conspiracy way. I, I am, because something. I just can't see them filing, given the crypto regulatory backdrop, if they didn't think that they were going to be first to market. They're not. BlackRock's on the business of rolling out the red carpet for other issuers. I don't see them paving this path if, if they don't think they're going to win. So... Uh, I, it, let me let me say it like this. Look, I, I think that if it actually gets to 2024 before we have a, a spot Bitcoin ETF approval, I think it's less likely that BlackRock wins to what you were saying, James. And so maybe I'll hedge here. You, you went 51 percent, so I get to hedge, too. I'll say that if the SEC approves a spot Bitcoin ETF this year, I think BlackRock wins this thing. I think they're first to market. I think if it's in 2024, multiple issuers come to market at the same time. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. All right. I, I get, I, I, I get your thing, position. I think one of us will be right. <laughs> maybe. Or, or maybe, you know, it'll be a 2030 and I'm still doing an ETF Prime podcast on when the SEC will approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, but, hey, go ahead. Any final words? Yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing I would say is it, it all depends on as what you kind of hinted at. Like the, the language in the CDOE contract is, is basically that they are go, expecting to enter into a market. The NASDAQ ones, they have executed a market a surveillance sharing agreement. So they've entered into a term sheet to then enter into an SSA, which will be live by the time it's right. Trades. But it's but going to that. happen if the spot Bitcoin ETF is approved. You're no, right, but Dave. I, but I yeah. think that's an important, it's an important distinction because simply saying that they're going to is not the same as having done it. Yes, they've named Coinbase now, but we haven't seen an SSA yet. Right. I'm confident that that's in place. Here, here's something that we, <laughs> we're going to keep going here for just a minute because uh, if you look at the Valkyrie 19B4 filing, uh, this morning, the language is different than what was yeah. in BlackRock's, even though it's the same exchange. And there's a different date referenced in terms of the uh, the term sheet. That stuck out to me. I need to read it more. I mean, that thing came out just as we were uh, starting to record here. But but the other thing, and James, maybe you can answer this, or you did earlier, and we've covered so much that I forgot. That 19B4 from Valkyrie is dated July 3rd, right, versus BlackRock's, which is what, 628, June 28, June 29th? Does that matter on the, yeah. does that matter on the clock even if it's the same exchange? Um, I think it does matter, but I, again, it's the, those are deadlines that the SEC needs to issue those decisions. So if they issue decisions on the same day, I, and those dates aren't real don't really matter. So historically, they would order them in whatever order they want, but they have denied a slew like right in like a one day time period. They've sent issuers to re- withdraw their applications if they were under that SEC the the ETF rule. Um, or 19 before is they've just denied multiple at once way before the deadline. So they've done it in the past. So if they want to, they could theoretically just approve them all on the same date, especially if they're just going to focus on NASDAQ. Though I think NASDAQ would probably list, I'm guessing they would list like iShares one day before, assuming no other exchange can get it in TBOE doesn't have doesn't execute a surveillance sharing agreement which i have i i believe that they will they're obviously in conversation with them i think it will be done by the august 13th they have over a month now to figure out how to get into a surveillance sharing agreement um so but yeah 
I think what would happen is iShares would launch first, potentially, if it's just NASDAQ. But I think they're all going to launch right around the first day. I, if I had to pick, if I had to bet, I think that ARK and iShares might launch on the same date, the same day, and then everybody else will be like the day after. I'm just I don't know skeptical. how the SEC would go about doing that. <laughs> I'm but, just telling yeah. you, that language, I'm going to read it once we get done here, but the language is different. That strikes me as odd. It's the same exchange. Why would they have different language regarding oh, oh. The surveillance yeah, yeah. So term. Says, yeah. The the difference here is that it says that they the, the the associated term sheet became effective on June 16th, and then for the one that just came out today, it says on 30 in on June 30th the exchange executed mm-hmm. a term sheet with Coinbase. So it, the difference is effective on the 16th and 30th is effective. So basically, since iShares filed their 19 before, it's been officially executed and it's a done deal that it's, that it's going to go into place What if this actually occurs. Alright, I'll take off um, my tinfoil hat and go try to find another <laughs> conspiracy theory here. But uh, gentlemen, we're going to have to leave it here. I think that was the fastest, like, 45 or 50 minutes in the history of this podcast. Uh, seriously, really All on one topic, too. I, I love it. Thank you so much for uh, joining me this week. Uh, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Nate. Thanks for having me. That was James Seifert, ETF research analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and Dave Nottig, financial futurist at Vetify. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, Newberger Berman. If you would like to learn more about Newberger Berman, you can visit nb.com slash ETF. Next week, I'll be joined by Cambria's Mev Faber. So Cambria is now at around $2 billion in assets. So we'll talk about that. And also get Meb's take on global stock market valuations right now. And then Strategas, Todd Sohn, will tell us what's on his ETF radar for the second half of the year. Until then, have a great week, everyone.